back to Pretending We're Experts. I'm Sam Freed. And I'm Nathan Bickle. We hope you enjoyed last week's episode on quantum physics. This episode is sure to be a roller coaster, so let's get into it. But first, a message from one of our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by the CDC. The CDC, wear a freaking mask. It's probably a good idea before we really start talking about the stories to look at Guido Maupassant's life a little bit. Um, because I think it influenced what he wrote a good bit. So to start off with, his parents were rich and high class, um, and he was especially influenced by his mother, um, who, uh, when Mopasson was 11, um, risked social disgrace in order to uh, obtain a legal separation from her husband, uh, who was violent towards her, um, which can kind of, kind of that influence can be seen later, uh, like in some of Mopasson's works. Yeah. And then uh, something else, he, like his parents sent him to an, a, a religious institution. Um, but he got, he like, he got pretty opposed to religion at an early age. Um, so he got himself expelled from that school. And um, I mean, you see in a lot of his works, like they're pretty opposed to religion. Um, I mean, like, especially in Useless Beauty, like there's a section that's pretty opposed to religion. Uh Additionally, he was a clerk in the Navy Department, um, and he actually fought in the Franco-Prussian War, which was in the 1870s. Um, so we thought that was interesting. Yeah, and then, um, I mean, yeah, Montpassant really did have a pretty hard life. Um, he, like a lot of people that knew him described him as being really oversensitive and like prone to despair. Um, and he suffered from depression for a lot of his later life. and. Um, he tried to commit suicide, and he died in, a, in an asylum. Today's episode is also brought to you by the Institution Robineau. The Institution Robineau. We expelled Maupassant in 1868, and we would do it again. Okay, so the first story we're going to look at is The Necklace, which is probably one of Guy de Maupassant's most famous works. Um, so basically in the story, um, the main character, whose name is Madame Loiselle or something like that, um, is upset because, uh, like, she doesn't have nice clothes and she, like, her place in society isn't super high. Um, uh, but then her husband gets her an invitation to a party that she, I think, wanted to go to, but she becomes very self-conscious about not having, having anything nice to wear, um. So he gets her a nice dress uh, for uh, for the party, and then she borrows an expensive-looking necklace from a friend. Um, so then they go to the party, and people love her, but she loses the necklace as she's leaving. Uh, but she doesn't want to tell the friend about that because, I don't know, she's embarrassed or something. So she and her husband then uh, look like all around the city to try and find another necklace that looked exactly the same. And they finally did, and they used all of their money to buy it um, as a replacement. Uh, to avoid telling the person they borrowed the first necklace from that it was lost. Uh, and then they take 10 years to pay off all of the debt uh, from purchasing that necklace, and they're kind of miserable. And then one day, um, after all that, they run into the woman they'd borrowed the necklace from, and she was like, oh, that was a fake necklace. So that was basically what happened. Uh, yeah, personally... I didn't really like the necklace that much, like the story. Um, like really, because there's only, there's really only three characters in it. There's the, I mean, there's Mademoiselle and 
their husband and then the rich friend. Um, and I don't know. I didn't feel like any of them were likable. Like the the main character is kind of, I don't know, like she complains a lot and I, I feel like she doesn't appreciate the things she does have. And then her husband's not, um, I mean, not like their relationship isn't that good either. Like there's one point where um, he says like, how stupid you are, exclaimed her husband. <laughs> like they just have that kind of relationship where they're not really, they don't really seem to be in, in sync. And like her husband's, I don't, I don't really think he's that likable either. Like he's kind of angry. And then the friend, like when she brings the ne necklace back, um, like even though she had just spent like all her money and obviously the friend didn't know that, but like the friend was just like, you should have brought it back sooner. I might've needed it. Like they just, and I don't know. So I didn't like any of the characters. And then also I just don't find miscommunication plot lines to be that compelling um, because she like literally the story would have been, they wouldn't have, there wouldn't have been a point to the story if the friend and Mademoiselle had just taken like 30 seconds to talk about the necklace and her losing it. Um, I don't know. So I wasn't a huge fan of it, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't say I was a huge fan of it either, but I did find it, I don't know, kind of, I, I, I agree with what you said about the characters being not incredibly likable. Um, so I, I found it kind of amusing that at the end they learned that they'd done all this work when they didn't when they didn't have to um but i also think the it, kind of what you said it makes a weak plot I mean, or not a compelling plot line i feel like was kind of mopasan's point and that issues like this are really easy to avoid if people will just speak to each other um and actually i don't know yeah, I guess that's fair. Like, I think that I I do agree that that's kind of the point. It just, I mean, yeah, it's just frustrating as a reader, I guess. That, yeah, that's fair. Also, I I found it kind of, kind of predictable. I guess at the end, mm -hmm. um, once, once they had become so invested in this new necklace, I I figured that there's going to be some twist where they regretted doing that. Um, yeah, I mean, so I, I wasn't going to be surprised. I knew there was going to be some twist, but I was actually kind of surprised at the end, like that it was, oh, it's fake. Like that wasn't exactly what I expected to happen, but yeah, it didn't. I mean, it felt like sort of like kind of predictable, I guess. Fair enough. Um, so another thing that we noticed with this was how superficial people seem or how, how superficial they come across um, just because the necklace and the dress are what make Madame Loiselle so popular at the party. Um, presumably as opposed to anything that she's actually doing there. Um, and I'm not sure if this is because they, for lack of a better phrase, allow her to be noticed, or if that really is what made people want to speak to her, dance with her, or whatever at the party. Um, but I don't know, I thought that was an interesting point to bring up in the book. Yeah, it's kind of sad because like she's saying the like pretty much the entire first half of the story I don't even want to go to this party because I'm afraid like no one's going to notice me and then I mean she borrows a necklace and like the party really doesn't take up much of it but it I mean it, all it says is like 
she was the prettiest woman present, elegant, graceful, smiling, and quite above herself with happiness. Like, it's kind of sad that the difference between her being, like, miserable and, like, the prettiest girl and at the, like, the most popular girl at the party is a fake necklace. Uh, and then something else we noticed um, was how, I mean, yeah, I think we already touched on this, um, but it just was kind of sad how a lack of communication could have fixed the entire story. Um, and like between Mademoiselle and Madame Forestier, Forestier, I can't speak French. Forestier is right. I don't really know. Um, I mean, yeah. Had you wanted to add anything to that, Sam? Um, I mean, not particularly. I just thought it was, I don't know. I thought it was a good way of bringing up that issue, but like you said, it made kind of a weak plot. Yeah, I mean, I don't know if weak's the right word. It's just frustrating, I guess. Yeah. I um, let's see. Additionally, we also noticed a discrepancy in the text about whether or not classes, especially for women, exist. Because in the first paragraph, it says, for women have no caste or class. But then in the second paragraph, it basically entirely entirely contradicts that um, by it had just been talking about the poorness of her house um, and then it says all these things of which other women of her class would not even have been aware tormented and insulted her so I was a little confused by that because I mean there are probably like a hundred words between when he says or not even that between when he says no class and then brings up class so I don't I don't really know I why that was that I mean I could be wrong but I wonder if that's a translation thing um because it seems like her class is talking about like her um maybe like her heritage or like well I don't know <laughs> but I wonder if that's a translation thing because I I would maybe maybe wouldn't be surprised if in the original text like the word for in for women have no caste or class like the word for class there was different than in like when it says all these things of which other women of her class like i wonder if they if mambasant used different words in french yeah that's true i hadn't really thought about that uh, but that would make sense yeah yeah i don't know it's interesting to see like i i would be curious um i mean obviously i don't speak french but <laughs> like i'd be curious to see the difference between um I mean, there's no real, there's no real way for me to, but to see the difference between the translated text and the original one. Um, and then I think one other thing uh, we noticed was that um, the like some similarities and differences between the necklace and Cinderella. Um, Sam, do you want to touch on that? Yeah, a little bit. So this has been discussed in class some, and I think we discussed it in some of the smaller groups as well, but. You know, in Cinderella, um, Cinderella, the main character, is not very well known, but then she gets kind of like transformed into a princess or something, I don't know, um, and goes to a ball, and then everybody starts noticing and paying attention to her, which is, is kind of similar to what happens here, but then after that, she gets transformed back into not a princess, 
I, I don't know, it's been a long time since I've done that. Um, and I think people sort of start to lose focus on her again, except for the prince who then comes and looks for her, which obviously is kind of a difference. But yeah, I don't know. It was, I mean, it was kind of similar how they, how Madame Loiselle and Cinderella both get, both get transformed into like high class people for lack of a better, better word. Um, I guess I, I, I would be curious, I guess, to see if, um, I mean, I don't know how old the story of Cinderella is. I'd be curious to see if either had any impact on the other. Because um, I mean, those are both pretty popular. Yeah. I don't know. My guess is that Cinderella is older because I think it's a fairy tale, but oh, yeah, yeah, you're right. About that. <laughs> okay, so we also uh, sort of noticed uh, some similarities, uh, kind of basic similarities between the necklace and the gift of the Magi by O. Henry, which we also read at the same time as these. Um, but I don't know, with the gift of the Magi, everything felt a bit more lighthearted than the necklace. Um, like, it's clear that the main characters in the gift of the Magi care about each other a lot, and they are, I mean, the reason that they end up, uh, like, I don't know, losing their prized possessions, I guess, is because they care about each other, whereas it's a little bit unclear in the necklace. Um, like, as we said, it, relationship between the the main character and her husband doesn't seem fantastic um and also at the end of the gift of the magi both characters still seem happy even though their gifts for each other are kind of useless just because they still have each other um but at the end of the necklace it i mean it leaves you kind of on a cliffhanger so to speak i mean not really but it doesn't give you any more information about how the characters are, um, which I think, at least in my opinion, is kind of a negative thing and kind of hints that maybe they're not happy or they're not in a good situation after that. Um, so yeah, I don't know, I just thought the gift of the Magi was a bit more hopeful than uh, the necklace was, even though both were kind of about miscommunications or lack of communication and they both kind of conveyed the same point um when it came to that yeah i think you're right i think it's telling like how the stories end like yeah the necklace ends like with her finding out i just wasted the last 10 years of my life paying off this fake necklace um and i think that kind of shows that that, that was the point of the story is like the miscommunication um, but it seems like in the gift of the Magi, the focus was actually on the relationship. Um, and like the miscommunication was just presented as like an obstacle to the relationship. Um, like the, because like they have that, it has that paragraph at the end about how like they still worked out okay um, with their, with the main characters. And you don't, yeah, you don't get that closure with the necklace, like you said. Um, so yeah, I mean, that's similar, but I think it's different in that respect. This episode is sponsored by Facebook Messenger. Facebook Messenger. If Mademoiselle just DMs Madame Forestier, she may not have spent 10 years in abject poverty for no reason.
Okay. Um, so the next story I wanted to talk about was Useless Beauty. Um, and in it, like, there's the, the two main characters are the Count and the Countess. Um, uh, so, like, it starts uh, when the Count's getting home one day um, and the Countess is, like, going for a ride in a carriage. Um, and so he asks to ride with her and she kind of reluctantly lets him. Um, and then he, like, keeps pressing her because she seems upset. And he, she kind of just goes off then and like starts, I mean, it seems like she's bottled up a lot of emotions for the last 10 years. And she kind of like starts going into why, like, she doesn't think he's a good husband and he's pretty violent to her, towards her as she does that. Um, and because he's been like really jealous over the past 10 years and like um, kind of trying, like making her have a lot of children because he wants her to be less beautiful. Um, and so she, they like go to a church and she, um, swears uh, like on, like at the church that one of her seven children isn't his, um, like that she'd had it with another man. Um, and he's, I mean, really upset, obviously. Um, and then he makes her, like when they get home, the count makes the countess swear the same thing on the heads of her children. Um, and she does. And then the contest is like thinking that he's going to kill her or like be really violent. Um, so she like buys a gun and is like prepared to use it against him. Um, but he never, he never comes and like everything just kind of gets smoothed over. Um, and then there's like a six year break in the story. Um, and then there's a section where two characters are like discussing the contest and like a lot of philosophy about like religion that I think I mentioned earlier um and then that's like at a play and when it like cuts back to the count and the contest and as they're going home uh the count asks her which child isn't his um and the countess is like did you suffer <laughs> because like I think she it's like she's wanting kind of revenge to see that like she'd gotten revenge on him over the past seven years and he says that he had suffered um and then she reveals that he, she had actually been lying and all of his children were his um and that she had just said that to get out of like having to bear more children um and then it's kind of a weird ending like they end as like friends and i mean he's really not as angry as you'd expect um and the count is like almost feeling love towards her by the end of the story um do you want to add anything to that Sam? um yeah well i would just say it's maybe implied that it's love what it actually said was uh, he was feeling a strange emotion arising in him yeah. which i mean probably is love but i don't i mean i i think that's meant to be interpreted however you want yeah true um okay personally i was not a huge fan of the story. I thought it was all right for the most part. I liked parts one, two, and four okay, <laughs> but I could not stand part three because I just don't do philosophy very well. Um, so, I mean, it was fine when they were actually talking about the characters in the story, but then when they got all philosophy y, then they really just lost me. Um, but other than that, I, I mean, I thought it was all right. I did, I, I wouldn't say I predicted it, that it would 
happen that she lied, um, like with the necklace being fake, but I wasn't terribly surprised by it at the end, just kind of based on some of the things that the Comtesse had said. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I felt like it was a little bit predictable again. Yeah, we were reading it together, and I, I think a couple of us said, like, a few paragraphs before, what if, she's been, what if she's just been lying this whole time? And then we got to the part where it was revealed. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I agree that it was a little predictable. Um, I don't know. This is, like, out of the three we picked, this is probably my favorite one. Um, I don't mind philosophy as much as you do. Um, so I liked, I don't know, I thought the part three was interesting. Um, I didn't really agree with it personally, but I thought it was, like, thought-provoking. Um, and, yeah, I don't know. I felt, I felt a little more invested in the contest than I did in Mademoiselle. Um, like, I felt like she was more, like, a more complex character and, like, more... I felt like more able to connect with her. So I guess I liked the story better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I would say that um, the contest through her, through her words, through her dialogue is a lot easier to uh, begin to understand and empathize with than uh, Madame Loisel. Um, just because, I mean, the story is a lot longer than the necklace was, I think. Um, and most of it is dialogue between various characters and since uh, the Comtesse is the main character she has a lot of the lines um, so I felt like it was a lot easier in this one to kind of relate to her I guess yeah same um, okay so uh, we did notice that there was kind of a difference uh, between this story and the necklace um, particularly with uh, how the Comtesse and Mademoiselle uh, kind of are described, uh, especially with regard to beauty, because in, in uh, Useless Beauty, the Comtesse is described as beautiful and, you know, all that stuff, but she doesn't necessarily care about that so much, or she doesn't focus on it as much, whereas uh, in The Necklace, I felt like Mademoiselle was very self-conscious almost, um, which is why she was so uh, invested in getting a necklace and a dress uh, to go to the party. Yeah, I mean, because it, like, in both stories, like, it described them as beautiful. Like, the first, like, the opening line to the necklace was, the necklace is, she was one of those pretty and charming girls. Um, and then it goes on, but, like, so it's not, like, where we're supposed to view Mademoiselle as like ugly, but she definitely perceives herself that way. Um, and then in Useless Beauty, like that's a pretty established fact, like that the that the Comtesse is beautiful, um, and she she says that several times. Like she says, um, like it's she says at one point as you and as you could not prevent me from being beautiful and from pleasing people from being called in drawing rooms and also in the newspapers, one of the most beautiful women in Paris. You tried everything you could have to, you could, you could to keep admirers from me. Um, so like in the necklace, Mademoiselle is beautiful, but she doesn't think she is. And then useless beauty, she, she's beautiful as well. And she like says that she is and thinks that she is. 
um but it like it it makes her life worse um because like her husband is jealous of it so i thought that was an interesting contrast as well i'd agree with that um one topic that comes up in this story a lot but doesn't really appear in the necklace's violence um, because there are a number of passages in in useless beauty where it's describing what the count is um how he's interacting with the Countess or what he's doing to her. Um, so like, for example, uh, one of the lines is he had seized her wrist with savage brutality and he squeezed it so violently that she was quiet and nearly cried out with the pain. Um, and that, I mean, that's not an isolated incident. It just happens a number of times. Um, and he also, I think, throws a chair maybe. Um, so he... It clearly, uh, or not clearly, but presumably was influenced by Kitamopasan's father, um, who, as we mentioned earlier, uh, acted violently towards uh, his mother and uh, possibly towards towards him as well. I don't don't really know that, but um, I feel like that was probably uh, one of the inspirations for uh, the Count's character in the story um, and kind of his. Uh, I don't want to say mean nature necessarily, even though that's kind of what it was. I, I don't know, I guess just this violent nature. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, I mean, like we mentioned, or Sam mentioned earlier, that like one of the most influential characters in his life was his mother. Um, and like, so if he, like, if, if you're right, and I think you probably are, that like the Comtesse was inspired, like at least partially inspired by his mother and the Count was inspired by his father. Um, because the Comtesse has like really comp is like, like we mentioned, is like a really complex character, um, and is like pretty easy to relate to her. And I mean, she's I'd say very likable. Um, and then her like the Count is just kind of a terrible person. Like he, I mean, yeah, like he's really violent. Um, and then you also see through like you also. I don't feel like he's as complex of a character. Like he almost just feels like kind of an antagonist and like just there to move the plot along. Um, like, I don't feel like he's, you don't get as much insight into his personality and like his inner conflict, um, which I'm not defending him. I'm just saying like, the contest is like definitely the protect, the main character of the story and like, he's almost just seems like an obstacle. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, and he's kind of portrayed as so much of an obstacle that there becomes a bit of a moral dilemma for the Comtesse about um, whether or not she should break her own morals. Um, like, for instance, she says she's a religious woman um, and asks the Count if he thinks that she is. And he, I mean, I, he says yes. Um, and then she... Uh, swears in the church that one of her children is not also his. Um, which, I mean, especially for the time, that's pretty shocking, I think, or it was at least meant to be, um, just because of how ingrained religion was in society. Um, so lying at church, and then also swearing on the heads of her children uh, would be kind of a large lie. Um, but uh, yeah, I think one of the points of the story was um, how 
people will kind of bend their morals, I guess, um, in order to, um, or for the purpose of self-preservation, um, just to protect themselves. Yeah, um, I'm curious what you think. Um, like, do you think she was completely in the right to do what she did? Um, like, because I mean, she I mean she did like lie. Um, I mean, like she swore in the church under the heads of her children. Like, do you think she had a right? Do you think she had a right to do that? Um, because of like how it ended up. I mean, I think based on the Count's treatment of her, she had to do what she had to do in order to protect herself. So I don't see a huge issue with what she did, especially because it didn't really hurt anybody else. Um, and nobody got physically hurt from it as well, uh, which I would be kind of afraid of the Count physically hurting somebody just because of this violent nature. Um, oh yeah, weren't you saying when we were reading the story that you were like, I wonder, I thought he was going to turn around and shoot one of the children. <laughs> yeah, I, I did think that when, um, when, uh, yeah, when he asked her to swear on the heads of her children, um, yeah, I wouldn't Dang. have been terribly shocked. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't have either. Um, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think she had a right to do what she did. Um, I don't know. I mean, I don't know but I don't know if I would feel the same way if like he had done that, which would have been pretty extreme, but like if he had like ended up killing one of the children, I'm not, I don't think I would feel, I wouldn't feel as comfortable saying that. Um, but that, I do, true. I do wonder like if people would have felt more strongly, I mean, cause this was written in the 1800s, right? Um, like I, think I would so. have, I, people might've felt more strongly that, she didn't have a full right to do that if she's like, since, I mean, I think more people back then were religious than, than it is now. Um, and that might've taken that more seriously. Um, I don't know. This segment is brought to you by Dealmart. Dealmart is, well, was, Greenville's leading source of premium near expired and fully expired foods. Okay, so the last uh, work that we are going to focus on here is a piece of string. Um, so basically in a piece of string, um, the main character, whose name is Maitra Oshkorn or something like that, I don't know, but we're just going to call him the main character or a guy as we've so elegantly put it in our summary. Um, anyway, he finds and picks up a piece of string in front of the house of uh, one of his enemies um as he's heading into town so he just continues into town does his business and then is eating a meal when the police come in and they announce that somebody uh i think lost his pocketbook and that they would uh offer a reward for uh returning it but they also mentioned what's in the pocketbook which is i don't remember the exact amount but it was a lot more than what the reward was um and then the police tell our main character to come with them. Uh, and then uh, his enemy, who uh, whose house he'd picked up the string in front of, 
um, accuses him of picking up the pocketbook when he was actually picking up the string. Um, so uh, Oshkorn denies this, obviously, um, and uh, somebody else ends up returning the pocketbook. So he's happy and thinks everybody will accept him again and will finally believe his story that he didn't actually steal a pocketbook. But then it turns out they everybody just thinks the two were accomplices uh, and they continue to shun him and uh, he ends up dying uh, I think pretty soon after that still maintaining his innocence saying he was only picking up a piece of string um, so personally this was my least favorite out of the three stories we talked about I don't know I mean like, <laughs> I don't really like I'm not a huge fan of any of these characters, to be honest, but I don't really like the protagonist. Um, I don't know. I mean, I just, I mean, he's not my least favorite character, I guess, at least, but like, I don't feel like he's that relatable. Um, and like, I mean, I guess it seems a little dramatic that he would like die of like wanting people to believe that he hadn't stolen a pocketbook that really didn't have really wasn't like that significant of an event um i don't know so i mean i mean it just seems like he has a <laughs> i don't know maybe this isn't very compassionate but i just kind of wanted to get over it at the end um and i don't know i mean obviously the town isn't very likable for just not believing him um I don't know. It was just kind of frustrating reading it, which I think kind of like the necklace was the point. It just, I don't know. I didn't enjoy reading it that much. I actually, I mean, I didn't love the story, but I, I, I kind of liked the amount of detail that went into the imagery, which we can talk about in a second. Um, but just to your point on like him dying because of maintaining, uh, or of like saying that he didn't steal a pocketbook, I feel like it's, it wasn't necessarily because of him saying that he hadn't done it so vigorously that he died, but it was more that the entire town turned against him, if that makes sense. Like, that maybe what he did or was accused of doing um, to cause that wasn't serious enough to cause him to die, but the result of it was, I mean, being publicly shunned by basically everybody you know, yeah, Probably I guess it's not going to do great things for you. Yeah, I guess that's true. Like, it was more of isolation than, like, anger. Yeah, I guess and, that's fair. Yeah, and I feel like one of the points with this um, also is that seemingly insignificant things uh, can kind of spin out of control, like the, the necklace getting lost. Like, if they had just said, hey, we, we lost it, um, I mean, maybe the, the person they borrowed it from wouldn't have been super happy, but the story probably would not have had as bad of an outcome as it did. And I think that it's the same here. Maybe not necessarily with communication in this case, but it kind of got spun out of control in a way that maybe it didn't need to. But the kind of frustrating thing about this story was that he did everything correctly, more or less. I mean, he went with the police and he... I mean, he said he was picking up a piece of string, which he was. And besides that, I don't know what else he could really do. Yeah, I mean, I feel like most, I mean, kind of the 
like traditional story is you have like a hero and a flaw and then their flaw like gets them in trouble and then it gets resolved but, like he doesn't really have a flaw like like it says that he's picking up the string because he doesn't want to be wasteful and he wants to be economical um and like he does it even though it's kind of un like it's uncomfortable because of his rheumatism um and then like that's all he could have like that's all he did and then it was like his environment that completely turned it against him so i guess that's maybe that's why i didn't quite like the story because i mean it just felt so unfair i guess yeah that's that's a good point and i mean i think part of the main message of the story is that once once public opinion turns against you it's really hard to get it back um because there wasn't anything he could have done differently i mean if he'd said yes i did steal this probably wouldn't have turned out any better for him yeah you're probably right <laughs> honestly it probably would have turned out it probably would have turned out better because people might have forgiven him <laughs> but like if everyone was just thinking he was lying um, yeah i mean and, i guess like, refusing to accept it yeah but i mean i don't think he should have done that I don't know. Um, one thing I was kind of curious about was why would they offer a reward for returning the pocketbook that's less than the contents of the pocketbook? Because I mean, obviously it's kind of supposed to be reliant on people's honor and their, I mean, their honesty, I guess. But I feel like by putting a reward price on it, they're almost, I don't know, I feel like it might make people less likely to return the pocketbook and just keep what's inside it yeah i agree that was something that stuck out to me too because um i mean i think if like i think if they had just said please return the pocketbook like we're a community and we need to be like looking out for each other like if they had played off of that it probably would have turned out better than like offering a reward because you're like putting extrinsic motivation on it and then someone could just think well what's the point of returning the pocket the pocketbook for 20 francs when I could get 500. So yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think if you add something extrinsic like that, it kind of takes away the intrinsic. Um, one thing I noticed, this is kind of a change of gears, but one thing I noticed about this story that was kind of different from the other ones that Guy de Maupassant has written, or at least the ones that we've read, is the amount of detail uh, that he put into it and the amount of imagery in the book. Um, or it's not a book with the story because there's not that much that actually happens in this one i mean he goes to town picks up his string people accuse him of stealing a pocketbook he says he didn't it gets returned and then they still think he did it and then he dies like that's i mean it's not a huge amount of stuff that happens but there is a huge amount of detail put into the imagery um, like for example when they were I, before they even introduce the main character, um, it's describing uh, people walking to town. It says the men walked slowly, throwing the whole body forward at every step of their long, crooked legs. They were deformed from pushing the plow, which makes the left shoulder higher and bends their figures sideways from reaping the grain when they have to spread their legs so as to keep on their feet. Their starched blue blouses, glossy as though varnished, ornamented. At, the, at, at collars and cuffs with a little embroidered design and blown out around their bony bodies looked very much like balloons about to soar whence issued two arms and two feet. I mean, that's a really, <laughs> that's a lot of detail to put into 
describing a group of people that really aren't even that important in the book because I think a lot of the people that turn against him are people who are already in the town rather than the other farmers. Um, so Yeah, like it's, yeah, I mean, especially for a short story, it's like a lot. <laughs> um, I do wonder if like, that some of like if maybe it was sh shorter in translation or like more compelling and or when in the original than in translation like that might be something we're losing a bit like i don't i mean i don't know much about the translation or the translator um but it might have been like easier to read in the original text or because <laughs> i know i keep saying why well, i didn't like the story but like that was another reason i didn't is because it was just so much imagery and i didn't feel like at least for me, like, not looking, like, just first impression, at least for me, it didn't feel like, I didn't feel like it added much to my experience of the story. And, like, I'm sure, like, obviously, Malpasant added in that imagery for a reason. Um, I guess I'm not quite sure what it is. Like, do you have any ideas, Sam? I'm not really sure either. The only thing I can think of is this, uh, this setting um, in Normandy, uh, like it mentions, I'm about to horribly butcher this. Okay. It mentions two communes called Coyote or something and Goderville. That's definitely pronounced wrong. Okay. Anyway, but those are real places. Um, so I feel like maybe his effort in describing, um, like describing the people that live there is because he's actually been there um, or maybe it's an influential place for him. Um, I know he has another story where I think it's based in Le Havre, which is close to where these places are. Like, I think it's in or near Normandy, at least. Um, so, and compared to the other stories we've read, um, you know, I'm not entirely sure it focuses on where the story actually takes place. Um, but it does here, so I don't know if that's maybe a commentary on how local people there acted at the time when it was written or uh, I mean it probably does describe how they looked but um, other than that I can't really think of why else it would have been included yeah that's that's interesting um do you know if those places were close like do you know if he ever lived there or like lived near those places uh no I'm not sure mm. um, yeah I don't know I mean it might be it might be too like talking about like trying to describe a certain community that would be more likely to have um, the reaction that this community did, like a more, like I think I've mentioned this in class, like more, like it's so, it seems pretty isolated and small and like everyone kind of knows each other. Um, and I wonder if Maupassant's trying to like make that point of the imagery that it's like rural and isolated and then say like, um, that like exacerbates the, um, like them not believing him. I'm not sure. Um, and then also that uh, that kind of reminded me of um, The Crucible by Arthur, Arthur Miller, because um, it seemed like that was a pretty similar um, setting, um, like with the Salem Witch Trials. Um, like it's a small community and like everyone kind of knows each other. And then I mean, like Abigail, kind of the antagonist, seemed somewhat similar. I mean, I'd probably take 
the guy that who who is the guy that reported um Hashikor uh, what was his name? Um what was his name? I should probably know this. <laughs> um I would I would prefer oh. what was it? Malon Dan or something. Oh yeah. I mean he seems better than Abigail. <laughs> um but like they're both play kind of similar roles of like accusing someone without evidence and then like everyone believing them. Um so I don't know. I thought that was kind of an interesting connection to make. Um I don't know if maybe Arthur Miller was had it had it like had ever read um this before. It might have something have had some part some inspiration. Um do you want to add anything to that, Sam? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's an interesting comparison. It wasn't one that had occurred to me when I was reading it, but when you explain it, it makes a lot of sense. Um, just kind of in the similarities between the societies, which, I mean, I think both of these works are kind of about the society rather than the main character um, and kind of the flaws the society has. Um, like in The Crucible, it's about how they'll all kind of flock to one belief or... I mean, part of it was also arguably about bad blood, which here it could have been as well, since there was a disagreement between uh, Oshkorn and Malan Dan. Uh, that's definitely not pronounced right. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. I, I feel like both of those works kind of capitalize on the the flaws that people have and how they'll take advantage of situations to attack each other if they want to yeah that yeah that's true like i think i think you're definitely right that it, like like a, a both like the a piece of string and the crucible both focus on society more than like the actual people um and maybe that's why Maupassant spends so much more time characterizing the setting and the town rather than the main character himself like that maybe that's the answer to what we were saying or an answer. This episode is brought to you by the Flat Earth Society. The Flat Earth Society, accepting members all around the globe. Um, and then one other thing uh, we noticed, like we, we, we did, some of these stories did remind us of uh, some short stories written by Chekhov. Um, I mean, just in pretty general terms, like this isn't the case with all of them, but I I felt like a lot of the characters in both stories written by Mampasan and Chekhov um, just felt like they were there to move the plot along and were hard to relate to. Um, and I think, I mean, we've mentioned this a few times now, that might be partially due to the translation, um, but it might also just be their writing style. Like it might be that they're like, the stories are focused on plot and like getting a message across. Um, and that just the characters are maybe secondary to that. Um, and I guess that's maybe why I didn't like these stories that much is because I feel like the thing that's important that I enjoy the most about a story is the characters. And I felt like those were just a little harder to relate to. But that also might be um, translation because like I just kind of hard for me to read these stories in general because they felt a little um, 
I don't want to say boring, but like it was just the writing. I just didn't enjoy the writing style that much. Yeah, I mean that that's a fair point. I I don't know. I feel like with translation, it maybe would make the writing style a little bit clunky, if that's a valid word to use there. Um, but I I feel like it doesn't really, or at least if it's done well, it shouldn't decrease our knowledge of kind of the characters' personalities or who the characters are. Um, so yeah, I mean I think the characters were basically just there to prove a point um, kind of for for the authors. Um, I mean, possibly with the exception of uh, the Comtesse, just because she was likely based off of Gita Mokasan's mother, um, who was really influential to him. Um, but I don't know. Yeah, personally, I enjoyed these stories more than reading Chekhov's stories, though. Um, like, Chekhov's stories... I think were, I mean, they were still short stories, but I think they were a bit longer than these. Um, and they were also a lot more dense. Like, I I don't think they had a lot of dialogue, if, I, if I'm remembering correctly. Whereas these at least have some interaction between the characters. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. They were, <laughs> both Chekhov's and Gita Mokasan's were kind of depressing. Uh, so for that reason, I would say O. Henry's was probably my favorite of the ones that we read. <laughs> yeah i think dense maybe was the word i was looking for for boring like it's just yeah just kind of hard to read thanks for listening to this episode of pretending we're experts in keeping with things we don't understand next week we'll be covering the politicization of maths in the united states why just why Anyway, we'll see you then. This episode was additionally brought to you by Fish. Just Fish. Hi guys, um, I'm just writing some short stories because my name is Guy de <laughs> Okay, cool. uh, three, two, one. Wait, wait, wait. Oh, sorry. What? <laughs> what is her name? We have some girl is depressed. <laughs> How do you spell message? M E S S. Wait. Did you say message or messaged? Messaged. Messaged. How do I not M M E S S A G E D? I think that's definitely wrong. Forestier. Is that fine? That says Forestier. Shut up. <laughs> I didn't really know what I was saying for like three quarters of that catch you on the flippity flip or what's that my quote <laughs> catch you on the flippity flip for the 72nd time <laughs>